On this week's episode of Your Voice to the World, we dive into the book Obstacle is the Way. And we talk about some stories Ryan Holiday shares around the principle of uh, not just learning to live with obstacles, but seeing them as opportunities um, that help us live better uh, in more effective, happy, well-rounded lives. Let's do it. Welcome to Your Voice to the World. I'm Eddie Pinero, speaker, filmmaker, and storyteller, teaming up with Terrence McMahon, retired CEO and best-selling author. Having built multi-million dollar businesses and created lifestyle brands enjoyed by millions around the world, we've established a blueprint to do more and become more. Now we're joining forces to inspire you to share your voice and build the business and lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Welcome to Your Voice to the World. I'm Eddie Pinero. I'm Terrence McMahon. And we help you share your voice. And build your business. And uh, today we have one of the most anticipated books we've ever had on this podcast. I love it. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Um, the Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph. Hell yeah. So we're going to go through a bunch of like the little stories in there and kind of take you up and down some of the amazing examples he uses. Um, but before we do that, just kind of some quick housekeeping things. Three things. Um, I want to let you all know that there is a Your Voice to the World Facebook group. Um, and Steve's going to leave a link in the description. If you want to join a community of entrepreneurs, we do a lot of free training, a lot of discussion, more in-depth stuff on the books. Um, so if you're interested... The link's going to be there. Come join us. It's a lot of fun. Um, the second thing is, what is the second thing? Uh, leave a review. Leave a review. <laughs> um, yeah, if you leave a, the, the more reviews you leave, the better we do. The better we do, the more resources we have to help you out. So that's really tremendous. And then the last thing is I want to thank everyone that called in and, and had questions for us about the book. Um, at the end of the podcast, we're going to answer your questions and get into that. Anyone who hasn't called, feel free to do so for next week. We're going to be talking about the Martian. Um, but that's it. I think we're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I just want to make a comment. It's funny uh, how you look at the numbers. Uh, you know, For those of you that are looking at getting your message out there, uh, you want to look at your numbers, know your numbers. And it was we watched the reviews. As they came in, our listens went up. Like I think the algorithm picks up on the reviews. Uh, they're helpful. I know it sounds self-serving, but it's also it'll serve everyone because uh, the longer uh, and the more reviews we get, I think the more people will get these great ideas and use them to help help serve the world. That was a much more eloquent way to put it. Yeah, than I did. yeah. that's right. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and, and you know we still have that. We have one more week left on the giveaway too for uh, that microphone. So essentially. Uh, hold it up but uh, we're going to go through the reviews i think there's 93 now and uh randomly pick one and uh reach out and, and send that baby away so cool All right. in, this, this book could be a three-hour podcast i mean the stories that ryan holiday oh. collects about the concept of stoicism and how obstacles become the path yeah you know what's in the way becomes the way which is interesting because um, it's you know stoicism it's kind of a, an obscure t uh, concept but it's uh, a Greek philosophy uh, there was a couple different camps of thought in Greece two primary ones Epicureans and Stoicism Stoics and Epicureans and the Stoics I guess are more calm uh, almost emotionless mm -hmm. um, and the Epicureans are more into wine and, and living you know YOLO you only live once type uh, type of uh, of lifestyle and I think it was good and bad in both. Uh, but we'll talk specifically today about how thinking like a stoic could really help you, especially if uh, the you-know-what hits the fan Yeah. and you're in a problem, you're in crisis, you're in a, you're in a place where something seems like it's uh, against the, uh, you're against the wall. That's a really cool way of thinking. Like it made us all, Steve went out and bought, what one did you buy, Steve? Which one? Didn't you buy a book right after, oh, maybe you got Meditations. Yeah, I got Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Um, it's just a really cool way of thinking. And so throughout the book, like the idea, obstacle mm -hmm. is the way. It's like, you know, not just accept obstacles, but you can literally turn obstacles into opportunities. Everything's an opportunity in life. Um, it's just how you look at it. And if you only see the positive, if you train your mind to not even see the negative, then really there is no negativity. It's all self-made. And so every single one of these stories in here, and we'll talk about our favorites, um, right. you know, is about a, a person, a historical figure that just changed your perspective. 
that that saw things a little bit differently and then lived that out um, and got entirely different results. Yeah, because we talked about how to win friends and influence people a couple, maybe I think last one. And then before that was Relentless by Tim Grover. We're talking about, uh, you know, that was a very contemporary book. And then How to Win Friends is a very older book to us. But this is 2,000, 3,000 years old. This is, this is the basis of self-help. Most self-help can be uh, beeline to a lot of these ideas and principles. Um, you know, talk, people like George Washington, self-identified as Stoics, Thomas Jefferson, Amelia Earhart, uh, Admiral Stockdale. Uh, these are all people that, that studied uh, the concept of stoicism, mm-hmm. um, Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. What out of out of all these stories? What one was one of your favorites? Like, what's a what's a good starting point? You think? I mean, I I like um, I like I like the original. The first story that he talks about is Rockefeller. That's I mean, good. he was one of the richest people ever. In fact, he's you know everything he did with the you know starting his businesses are all businesses that are alive today. You know, the oil companies are all Rockefeller's companies. Um, but he, he, you know, he's a he's a guy that was a was an accountant, I believe, and and during the worst time of ever uh, depression, the one of the first early depressions, uh, you know, he 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 saw as an opportunity. He saw the the financial fallout as a huge opportunity to create something, and he t- he did that. So he, he he drummed up some money, and he drummed up a half, I think, a half a million dollars uh, from investors, which was a heck of a lot of money back then. And he went on a journey to find. A suitable investment and came back with nothing. Uh, I guess the idea there is that he, you know, he gained trust of the investors. You know, of course, when you give someone half a million bucks to spend, they usually find a way to spend it. Right. But he gained trust and he waited out until the right opportunity came and he struck and right. then he hit it. Uh, he, you know, he he took the the crisis as an opportunity, a flip. Yeah. You know, if you will. I remember them emphasizing like they were shocked that someone would come back and redistribute the money. Oh, no thanks. Couldn't find it. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. I was interested in that. You, know, you always every time you ever gave anybody any money, uh, this is Parkinson's law, right? You if you have something, it, it finds a home. Yeah. Uh, if you have time to complete a project, if you have 6 weeks to complete a project, you wait till the last day of the 6th week. If you have extra money in a budget in your home, and you're putting money in your account, you have an extra 1000 bucks for whatever reason and it doesn't have a home, the world will find a home for it. That guy used uh, discipline to not invest in something that wasn't the right thing, and he and he ended up, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. And when things were the worst and the lowest, he struck and he won. Yeah, um, counterintuitive. Yeah, it's, it's like we were talking about on the way to lunch. It's uh, essentially the same philosophy that uh, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger have. Like when the world rushes in, you get out. When people get out, it's an opportunity to go in. And it's just sort of that way of thinking, that type of restraint and discipline. Right. You know. yeah, we talk about the soccer soccer ball. You know, the 10-year-old's playing soccer. All the kids are following the ball. There's always one kid that drifts away, and that's the kid that ends up scoring. Right. So following the path of others does not always lead to the way. The way is what is in the way, the obstacle. And that's kind of the, the basis of this book. It's funny. It's funny how challenging that is, but how there's so much reward there. And how, like... We know that, like our prefrontal cortex knows that. Yet it's so hard, right? It's so right. challenging. Um, you got all the you got all the programming to not do it, and all of a sudden you're you're you, you know everything you're you're programmed to do says avoid this pain. This is going to be painful. When that pain is exactly uh, the the way. Yeah, when we used to sell insurance, people, this is a product you buy when you're going to die. All right, someone else gets the money. So you're never going to receive any of the direct benefit, at least in their mind. There are some ideas. but And people would say, you know, the premium was the problem. And I said, no, the premium's not the problem. The premium is the solution to your problem. So what's in the way is the way. That's the way to do what you want to do. Because right. your, your brain will, 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 will play a role against you taking that action in your own best interest, uh, the, the survival hormones. So was part of your challenge, can, like explaining to people, like, was there a, uh, well, what's in it for me type thing? I'm not even going to get this. Oh, of course, yeah. And so you have to explain to them, like, it's a sense of altruism for the people you love and care about, basically. It's like, this is bigger than you. Well, what, what happens with, this is insurance, but this is actually referenced in the book, is you need to be, if you're insuring your own life, you're insuring your greatest asset, your ability to earn money, and that goes away very quickly when you die, unexpectedly especially. Right. Um, but you can never, because you're gone, you never can visualize what a bad thing happening. Uh, it's called uh, cognitive um, dissonance. It's when your actions and your values are in conflict, your brain will manufacture an excuse. That's why we have what fat doctors that smoke cigarettes or 
they smoke cigarettes and they're overweight and they eat badly. They, they, they don't really ever connect the dots that they're going to die from this. Um, and what you have to do is you have to be an advocate. You have to represent the event, not the, not the uh, person. Mm. So you have, to, you have to speak for it. You have to be objective. So uh, a stoic is always objective. They remove themselves from it and they look on to the event as if it's happening to someone else. And then the true answer will come. So when you can do that effectively, people will uh, take the actions because they don't want their families not to have insurance, right? Right, right, and right. you know it's like not going to the gym. If you're objective about it, and you and you take yourself out of the equation. You're looking down on your own self, overeating, and not going to the gym and gaining weight. You're going to be looking at a fat version of your old self who's out of shape. Right. That will get sick. Objectivity. It, uh, it's why it's why when uh, when you're looking at a friend or relative or loved one, you can look at them and you can give them advice that you would have a hard time giving yourself. Right, right, because it's like completely objective. It's like the answer's so obvious. There's no emotional, uh, you know, minutia or anything like that. It's like you've always been good with that. You're unemotional about some things. You just give the direct feedback, uh, and that's good. If you have, you know, if someone's just giving you information uh, to make you feel better about yourself, there's a place for that and a time for that. But for the most part, if it's something significant and irrelevant, you're and just hurting the person. Yeah, you're not telling them. It, yeah. You know, there's lots of different ways to being, you know, when you're trying to give yourself advice and you're not seeking the help of others through mentors or, or, or studying or even in books, um, you're not being objective about your of your true circumstances, which is the first basis of a, of a stoic is to see things as they really are. Mm. In the book, he talks a lot about people that looked at this and Rockefeller looked at what it is. You know, this is this is a depression, but it's also low prices. Right. So he didn't get caught up in the emotions of the depression and the, and the negativity. He said, wow, there's a bargain. Everything's on sale right now. Right. I'm going to go buy it. <sighs> he took the half a million bucks and bought it and, 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 tur- and took a lemonade, a lemon into lemonade, right? That's the way you look at it, right? Yeah. Same, same with Clooney. Yeah. It's like all he did was make that little pivot. So he, they talk about him going in and into uh, auditions and just being nervous and not getting, you know, the, the gigs. And one day he, he had the foresight to look back and same thing, like remove the emotion, become more objective and be like, wait a minute. You know, I am the answer to this producer's problem. This producer has pressure. This producer has to make it happen. And all he's looking for is the best person uh, to fill this role. And so this right. isn't about me. They don't hate me. They don't. It's nothing emote. Like I just need to be the answer to, to to the producer's problem. And it changed his mentality, his mindset. And obviously, everyone knows George Clooney. So well, yeah, he showed up. Remember, we talked about the bait to to you know put the bait in to suit the fish. Yeah, yeah. So he made himself into the actor. He acted like the person that they, he knew they had to hire. Uh, he became the solution to the problem instead of worrying about himself. Like, I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to skip a beat that I rehearsed my line. He showed up as the guy. I'm going to get this role because I am the solution to their problem. And he became George, George Clooney looking at the same exact circumstances just differently. Yeah. Flipping the coin over. It happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's so prevalent to everything. When you can, like, when you can get out of your head, um, when you can start thinking about it through the terms of, like, or, or the lens of, you know, how am I doing? You know, every little, um, you know, inner conflict, all that stuff that's there, you know, if you pull up, if you rise above all that, you know, the question is, are you delivering value? How mm-hmm. are you helping people? Um, again, that sort of objectivity that's so hard to procure, it's so hard to get because it takes a lot of discipline to get beyond this is how I feel. Right. Like, like we always joke around, you know, I feel like this. I feel like we should do this because I and it's like, well, you feel like that. Right. OK, but what does the data show? Like, it, right. well, it, it, I, well, you know, and we have that back and forth all the time. It's like feeling is not reality, well, um, but it's a movie playing in our heads. It's so good when you have data. I mean, you have when you have a, a, either data or a dry friend who is unemotional. You know, someone who would really tell you the truth. You never know that person. They're sitting usually off to the side a little, and they're, they, you, we're all laughing. And then you see a flat, uh, you know, almost a lifeless face because they don't they don't emotionalize anything. Right, <laughs> right, right. I have right. a friend like that, um, and you know, he talks about it in the book. And when there's a crisis, like why get upset? Because now you have two things to worry about. You got the crisis, and then you got the emotion of panic. Yeah. He says, get rid of that. There's no need to be panicking. He referenced Grant. I uh, love this yeah, story. Grant was being, he was being uh, 
photographed and the light was bad and he's on his horse and he's sitting there being photographed inside this museum and he's looking at the, the photographer or the artist, I think it was a picture, and he, they had to drop a skylight and the skylight, um, the guy let the skylight down to let light in and, and it broke and these shards of glass, these large shards of glass came down and, and it would have killed anybody if he hit them, like these big giant pieces of glass. And they crashed around Grant, and then the guy was looking at him. He said Grant never even flinched. Didn't flinch. He just looked at him, and the guy was amazed that Grant didn't flinch. He had just complete calmness about him. And, like, why get upset twice? Um, you know, when you have a problem, like, if the plane's going down, does it make any, you know, if you're panicking, you're gone. If you're drowning and you're upset that the car's in the water and you also have the problem of getting out of the car, you've just created another another crisis that's arguably more difficult to get out of than the original crisis. Right. That's why I love stoicism. I've always tried to be calm. Uh, I always say calm is contagious, right? Crazy is contagious, too. Right. And that's right. kind of cool when you um, you look at that. You learn to dance with the chaos. It sort of becomes part of the process. You right. Know, I was doing a, a YouTube Live the other day, and someone asked, um, you know, how do you handle getting negative comments? On, on YouTube, like a lot of people really struggle with that. We talked about it on, on, on this show before. Right. And it's like, well, because we emotionalize it, it's difficult. Mm. But when you, when you look at it objectively, like Justin, would you say Justin Bieber is one of the top three entertainers of our day? Probably. Right? Seems top like it 10. is, yeah. If you look at any one of his videos, a quarter to a half of it is people just dragging him and talking trash mm -hmm. about him. I mean, this is a guy that's like, Leading yeah. the way in right. 2020. And, and so, like, it's just part of the... Like, anything you do it will attract criticism. And so to have a mindset where you want to avoid that, it's literally putting a ceiling on your own growth, your own potential. you got to accept it, understand it. Okay, I'm growing. I'm adding value. Here comes some negativity. Wave and keep moving. You yeah. Know? Oh, it's not. I mean, when you get your first... You're out there sharing your message and you're going to come up with an idea. Someone's going to tell you the idea sucks. Right. Uh, someone's going to make fun of you. Someone's going to say you're not good enough. Someone's going to say there are certain versions of you that shouldn't be doing this. You're wasting your time. You should go back to doing something else. Right. We talked about this at lunch. We talked about people that just emotion, you know, visualize like good things happening in La La Land when the reality is you're going to go on a journey. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys had a healthy debate about that. Remember that, Steve, at lunch? Uh, we had a healthy debate <laughs> over, over, well, over, you know, which is a better way to do it. Like, right. You're going to do something that you're the best in the world at, or you're going to do something that you may not be the best in the world at, but you it's really important to you. At what point do you quit something that's super important to you um, that looks like it's not going to happen, or it's unlikely? Or how do you manage Talk about that. that was a, I, I wish the cameras were on. It was such a good debate. I know. It was, it was healthy. Blast. It was healthy. Steve, you should jump in after, after sure. I kind of lay the groundwork here. I, so, I mean... Basically, in the book, there were two examples and, and two figures that went sort of different ways. Mm -hmm. So Jefferson wasn't a great orator, but he was a brilliant writer. I mean, he wrote the Declaration in, in one draft. Right. I mean, he's, he's a brilliant. Um, but he couldn't speak. And so instead of, of doubling down or, or trying to pursue that, he was competent enough there, um, but obviously b became one of history's most successful people without mm -hmm. improving there. Whereas, what's the guy's name? Starts with Demonstrates. Demonstrates. Um, Demonstrates, something like that. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <it> was <laughs> Google, Google will help us. But um, right. anyway, so he, whereas he couldn't speak, and he was like terrible at what he did, but he had this dream to become an orator. And so he locked himself in a basement and, you know, spoke with pebbles in his mouth, did everything he could to improve. And so the question is, at what point do you cut, like draw the line? At what point do you pivot to something else versus doubling down? Like Jefferson didn't spend years and years and years and years and years trying to become a better speaker. Right. He succeeded anyway. Whereas demonstrates? Demonstrates, it's... I don't know how to spell it, but yeah. it's, it has no yeah, speech R in impediment, it. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he he became one of the world's best, and so yeah, it's just an interesting, an interesting question. So the argument I observed wasn't well, an argument; it was just a healthy debate. Was Steve said, well, if it was really important to him, this guy, you know, uh, didn't have the equipment. You know, an observer would say, you're going to be the best speaker in Athens ever. And you're gonna be respected. Legions of men will listen to you. The emperors will hold you in their confidence. You'd say, no way, not that guy. Well, the, the thing we were thinking about is, like, how do you know when? How do you know when to choose one 
or accept one and put all your energy into something else? Or how do you know to try to overcome biology as we talked about? It's like, that's the question. And the answer we kind of debated was how good do you want to be? And we talk about trying to be the best in the world at something. Um, And the other question is, if you believe it enough, maybe you'll shoot for the moon, land among the stars, and can you overcome it? And it's tough because if you want to be the best in the world, like both of these people did, it's almost like the the only thing that I was thinking with this book is all these different examples, and he was giving examples of like different routes to, to achieve being the best in the world. So maybe like you can call it destiny or whatever, but... Jefferson somehow knew how do you get to that point of knowing you should accept it and going going away and that's the part that we we kind of hit a roadblock at how do you know where to stop how do you know when to just really never give up on the thing that you right. want to do right because because here's here's the reality like there's a there's some truth to you can do anything but the the example I gave at lunch dealt with a lot of times people disregard biology Right. So I know because I'm 32 years old and I've known myself for 32 years old, I'm okay at math, but I had to work my ass off in math to do well, whereas other subjects I didn't. Right. And so I could give every single ounce of myself to being a mathematician and I'd be good, arguably very good. But someone who isn't just naturally gifted in math, giving the same amount of time, like over time, they would be better. Right. And that's just, some of it is biological. And so, you know, it, it, and I forget what one of you said it, but it was a great point. Well, it depends what your goal is. Not everyone right. wants to be the best in the world. Not everyone wants or needs to be a Jefferson. Right. At that point, it's, it's kind of a moot conversation because it doesn't matter. You can be proficient or, as you said, king of your own world, the right. best in your own world. Right. Um, but it's just a fun, conceptual way to look at things. Yeah, at the finish line, work, you know, work backwards from the largest domino. I use the metaphor of the domino. The big one, if it's, I want to play music in, 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 in uh, I want to play music for people. And mm-hmm. I want to get paid to do it. Like, you're thinking about a message, maybe. And I was, well, maybe music's my message. Well, music's a very hard business to make money at. But musicians are just a different breed. Right. Uh, if you're working backwards from that, maybe being the best musician on earth isn't your home. Maybe being paid to play music comfortably is your home. And then uh, Thomas Jefferson wanted to be president or something like that. He was secretary of state. And then uh, and Thomas Edison, the other Thomas, who had a whole different view, Edison would never gave up 6,000 different experiments. Right. Um, so Jefferson cut and became a great writer, wrote the Declaration of Independence and many other things, spoke okay. Edison never stopped. In fact, Tesla worked for Edison. That's my favorite part of the book. Yeah. Tesla used to work for Edison. And, and Edison beat Tesla in the race to the uh, incandescent light bulb. And Tesla was quoted that if Thomas Edison was asked to <laughs> find a needle in a haystack, that he would take each piece of hay and identify it as it not being a needle one at a time until he found the needle. Mm. He, so that, that person just didn't quit. He had every reason in the world to quit. That uh, must make your skin crawl. That's like the antithesis of Terrence McMahon. <laughs> right there. Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, I guess, I guess uh, there's a healthy balance. Uh, I'm, I've struggled with it, too. I mean, there's certain things I could be very good at that, I, that I've chosen not to do to, to do something that's more meaningful. Right, right. In, in, you know, in light of my recent bout with my own mortality, you know, I wanted to live a life more true to my, myself rather than what, the way I was living. And that's not just in business. That's in life. So that's kind of I recreated that, that, that outcome. I'm in the process of recreating. I don't know exactly how, but this is something I enjoy doing a mm-hmm. lot. Like, right. I enjoy reading books. I enjoy talking out of books. And I also enjoy when more people call. And we've encouraged hundreds of thousands of people potentially to read books, you know, books that you would never would read and learn about these, these people and apply those into your own, own life, which is, I think, a cool thing. Let's Definitely. talk about that because that was a big theme in the book. Immortality? Death. <laughs> and how, yeah, yeah that, that drastically changes... Uh, people's life path. Well, Montaigne was referenced in the book, the guy who, he got in a bad horse accident. He's a famous French philosopher, a, a more contemporary philosopher who studied the Stoics. And he, he, got, he got thrown off his horse and he was lifeless and bloody, brought back to his friend's house where they thought he was dead and he woke up. And he wasn't dead. He had a near-death experience. And he spent his whole life uh, contemplating 
um, or med- meditating on on more, on their mortality, not in a bad way. It's like, what can the certainty of your death do? You know it. You're real about it. It's a story. It's, you see it for what it really is. Like each day is gone forever, mm-hmm. and you have it a finite amount of time. And we don't know what day you'll die. So each day should be its fullest day. Knowing that information, what are you doing today to make today the greatest day? That's kind of what it is. It's a momentum mori, is a, is a Greek Latin word for remember you're mortal. Right. And then Shakespeare wrote in one of his uh, plays, uh, every third thought shall be my grave. Right. In a good way, not in a, like I'll, a Debbie Downer, like I'm going to die. Yeah. So I've been there. I was lucky enough in many ways to have that one experience in my life. I had lots of luck to play a role in this in, in being in a situation where I didn't die from terminal illness. I was granted the gift to live through a donor, through a miracle of uh, medicine, science, uh, spirituality. Mm-hmm. All The universe conspired to keep me alive uh, to do something different. That's really what happened, and and I'm I'm searching for what that means and what that looks like from the you know working backwards. But I want to do some travel. I want to tell stories. I want to read books. I want to teach, curate. Um, that's a you know that's that's a good place to be. Yeah. So it was essentially. I just think it's such an amazing thing because a lot of people don't see it. Like they don't have that. It still seems like a far off thing. Like I could find out tomorrow that. I'm sick or something like that, that it, it would make it real. You know, every, everyone that dies, you always hear them say, you know, the same things. Like you're, you're not living the life on your own terms. You're caring what people think. You're, di- you're being dictated by reasons that are, or a rationale that is not important. Um, and I wonder what it is about coming so close that makes it real. Like why is it so difficult for people to understand that now? It's almost like the stove's hot, don't touch it, yeah. you know, but you have to, it's like you, you got to touch it, burn your hand to know that it's hot. Does that make sense? The weird part about my circumstances were I was in the insurance business. I had spoke about death so many times, <laughs> so true. ineffectively, <laughs> right? you know, and I was like so many different times I said, you know, you could die. And in fact, I've had people that died and didn't buy insurance for me many times. And you're like, and then it happens to you. Uh, I remember the number when I was alive and in the insurance business. Not, of course, I was alive in, in 2001 when 9/11 took place. Right. So very historical event. But what was more historical is that how many people that were high end. I mean, a terrible event. But the people that died in the building, there was thousands. But most of those people were financial heroes. They were like the top of the employed at you know, wirehouses and bond trading companies and investment bankers and venture capitalists. But the statistics came out that nobody had life insurance. Like all these stories came out that these people were relying on charities because they, they didn't think they'd die. Their income went away. What happened was they, they uh, the next month, because people learned about how real mortality was, life insurance had their, its greatest month of sales ever mm. following 9-11. Because it became real. The cook, the cook ended up in the kitchen. Right. Put the cook in the kitchen is an old, you know, what story can connect you? And in Montaigne's story, in his philosophy, says you don't have to be near dead or dead to experience the meaning of, of, of your own mortality. Um, you know, uh, Charlie Munger says this, is that you, you live by, you, can, you, you know, you learn through mistakes. They don't have to be your own. Mm. So my mistakes that I've made, and I've made many, can be your teacher. I love that. What did you say today? You got a great quote. Don't bury your... Oh, don't bury your mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a, a friend uh, back home that anytime something great happens, I always give him a hard time about this. It's the first thing you hear. Right. right, right essentially. Right. But but when there's not that success or trophy or, or he stumbles... That's not ever broadcasted. And that's not specific to him. It's just why we're having the conversation. No one wants to talk about the bad stuff. Right. Um, but the, the idea is don't hide your failures. Stand on your failures. Right. Because when you own them, um, again, it's, it's more perspective. It's realizing like it's not a good thing. It's, it's a courageous thing. Right. No one that's made an impact did it without failing. And so, like, broadcast that, you know? And, and I do that all the time in my videos. It's like I fell on my face here, guys. Um, and I learned A, B, and C, and I'm better off now, and you can be better off too. 
Yeah. Um, I love that, uh, it, you know? that concept. Don't bury your failures. Bring them to life. You, yeah. know, you, could bring them, you could bring them to life. You can use bad events. In fact, there's a whole, that's actually a couple of books I've been reading. It's like everyone talks about post-traumatic stress, PTSD. There's also a, 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 a college uh, a doctor up in North Carolina that studies post-traumatic success. Mm. And there's just so many stories of people that had these near-death experiences that turned that mess into a message that went into these great journeys afterwards. And I think that it's the, the it's this book, like whatever your perception of that distressful situation is, how you see it. If you see it as an impediment and you, you, you take it, that, the world will take you that way. If you see it as an opportunity, you can take it the other way. It becomes the way. Yeah. You realize like the things that are, are, are holding you back, the extent to which they're just just not important, right? Like the the, the serenity's prayer, prayer serenity, right. serenity prayer, um, which you know basically it's the idea is uh, letting go of the things you can't control, mm-hmm. and you know having the courage to control the things that you can. Right. And I think you know those situations help us realize how much we do have control over. You know, I mean, y- your message of recreation, it's like anyone right. can recreate themselves. There are certain things that um, are going to happen regardless. You can't change them, but you can change the way you think about those things that will actually propel you forward. And ultimately, like, you have the ability to completely transform your situation, you know. Right. It's a, it's a you know, it's a blessing when you're down and beat and you're at the lowest point and you think you can't take another shot. You, can, you think you're almost out? That's like when you, your, your nervous system should say, oh, bing, 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 bing. You have just hit the ground, and the ground is a foundation, the strongest place to build on going up. You can only go up now. So you don't have to worry about judgment. You don't have to worry about resources. Like any, If you're resourceful and you can start making momentum away from nothing, you know, go from nothing to something, and then you create momentum. Mm. And momentum obviously takes on its own. Its own. That's a learned thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what's really cool is like the, the art of making uh, something from nothing right. is not something that's intuitive. It's almost like a realization. You're like, there's always, you know, I use the metaphor, the answer is always a light switch away. It's little, there's always something in your realm that you can do that will help move you a little bit. And for me, like, I don't remember when I, I learned that or, or I started to understand that, but it was like when you know with confidence that the very thing you need is right within an arm's reach, you just got to tweak something and it's going to start this momentum shift, um, you're never really lost. You're never screwed. You're never out of it um, because you always have the resources. Right. And it's a cool way to think of things. I mean, it's very helpful. Just to get a, just to get a win to feel good about yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even that. Yeah. Small yeah. win. Just one. The smallest win. It's you know if you can't get a yes, your 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 dominoes too big. You gotta go backwards one. You got you go back to the smallest yes you can get. Knock it over. Create momentum. That one will hit another one. And people try to go too high too quick. It they get uh, they get discouraged. And I see it a lot. When so, oh, sorry. I thought you were done. No. I was just gonna say like when someone says something nice to you, right? So let's say like or, or something small happens. Someone gives you a compliment and it just brightens your day. Right. Right. Think about how arbitrary that is. Someone said something. That's literally, there's nothing tangible. There's nothing there. There's nothing to put in your pocket. Someone said something, changed the way you're thinking in the current state, and it's affecting your whole day. It's not a real thing. So the idea is to try and uh, obtain little things that make you feel like that because it's Mm -hmm. all subjective. It's all manufactured. It's all made up, and you can create that for yourself. That's not woo-woo or, you know what I mean? That's just reality like you can <laughs> you can think a certain way and it it's gonna you know open the door for a more positive productive happy day yeah you you asked me at the beginning of the show what my favorite story in the book was it wasn't the one i said i was just being polite <laughs> i'm an alabama <laughs> fan so it was the nick saban story oh yeah like nick saban's my hero like nick saban has he's believe it or not referenced in the book he calls it the Saban. If you if you're at Alabama and you've been there and left, or you're a coach there, or even a, even on the periphery of the team, Saban doesn't have write books about this, but he has something he calls it the process. Right, the process is uh, keep your eye on the process, what's in front of you, not on the prize. Yeah. Right. Do do the right thing. It's right in front of you right now, and what you want to have happen will happen. 
Mm. You know, it's the domino effect. It's basically as soon as I saw that, I said, "Oh my God, it's the domino effect!" Like, what's the one thing you can do today in front of you that you can do and do it well and succeed at that by doing so advances your situation? I love it. So if you if you have the wrong action against the problem, or you interpret the problem the wrong way, I mean, the the, the number one thing that you can do. If you have something bad happening and you feel like you have no power, you, you always have power. You can always interpret it differently. Yep. Like, oh, this is a good thing. What's the good thing in this situation? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's the good thing about being terminally ill? You don't have to buy green bananas, you know? Right. <laughs> that's, that's an old joke. I like that. I like that. <laughs> but I mean, there's, lot, there's always something good that, has, that happens. Right. You know, and uh, there's a good thing in everything. So you look at... Uh, the failure, the two sides of the coin is failure and action. They're two sides of a different, co- of the same coin. It helps you, helps you yeah, what can you do today? I love the saving story. The process. Follow the process. Make your own process, but be real about it. That's yeah. what Stoics do. They see things as they really are. Love they don't it. lie themselves. Jocko, Jocko talks about that. Like, if, like from a, a leadership standpoint, like same thing as Saban's process, yeah. essentially, but it's like if you are looking at, you know, 20 steps down the road you're not going to do what's in front of you to the best of your ability, which I'm sure is what Saban's trying to get through to his his, his team. It's like there's always a huge win to be had right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, to your point, it's domino after domino after domino, but you build in this sort of uh, mindset of we are the best and we are going to give everything to every second. You know, if you're always looking down the road, it trivializes the immediate. And that's just, at some point, the championship game is going to be the immediate. Right. What are you yeah. going to look towards then? Right. Um, so it's just building away. Um, you know, I liked in the book. Um, uh, Holiday talks about Garfield and how like he couldn't pay for high school, so he was, you know, the the custodian for free tuition, and was proud of it and did the best job he possibly could and didn't complain and saw the value in the moment and didn't ask, oh man, like. How can I make this better or woes me or I have to mop or sweep? No, he did it with a smile on his face. A couple of years later, 26, he's dean of that high school. You know, I can, th- I, I can I put myself in that situation. And I asked myself, like, would you be able to, to have that mentality? And I'd like to say yes, but I can also see myself being frustrated in that situation. Right. Like, it's, it's a learned thing um, and, and just really a perspective uh, shift. Wow, you know that's a good story. I forgot the Garfield. Story. Oh, it's so incredible. But you know, two other historic figures. One he mentions, the other one he doesn't. Well, he mentions them both because he had uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter, the boxer. There's a movie called The Hurricane. Ah, I think yeah, yeah. Denzel Washington was the Hurricane. It might have been, maybe wrong, but he was a boxer that was wrongfully accused and convicted for a life sentence. And when he showed up to prison, he said, you know, he told them. He says, uh, "I will stay here because I have to, but I will never be treated like a prisoner." in my mind, because I am not powerless. Mm. And when he was released, they finally figured out he didn't do it. Um, he didn't spend his life trying to sue everybody. In fact, he didn't sue anybody. He just left. No hard feelings. And he went yeah. back to work. He went back to work with his life. Like Mandela was another one that was imprisoned and uh, didn't come out and say, I'm going to take revenge on uh, you know, the people that put me in jail. He became a voice. He took that. I mean, this is a vintage situation. He took a, what happened to him as an opportunity to create movement. Imagine that. Yeah. Momentum and movement. He, he, he was the, the miracle in South Africa. Like, that was the reason it happened. One man. So if you don't think your voice matters, think about it. Something happened to you that you're passionate about. If you talk about it, it'll create momentum. Yeah. Spread it. Share it. That is the perfect example. Because think about it, right? I mean, the anger, the resentment, how much she must have lost. Mm. But, but having the, the, the foresight to understand... I gain nothing by being vindictive, by being angry, chasing right. these people. Like uh, my, my friend Tom always says, you know, a snake bites you. Uh, you can chase it into the woods and try and kill it, or you can go to the hospital, <laughs> right? And, and it's like you, one of them is emotional and will make you feel better in the, in the, in the moment. The other one's best for your life. Right. And, uh, yeah, that was, it was a good representation. Of that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. It's the same example. Why get... Why, why waste precious energy on something else that you have to worry about rather than the crisis itself? Yeah. You, know, you yeah. got two things to worry about instead of one thing. Super cool. 
What do you got, Steve? I'm sure you got something for us. Yeah, I have another um, another take on the obstacle, like using the obstacle to your advantage was a really interesting point. I mean, he, he painted a visual picture, which helps me a lot, which was the, the example of the castle. It was... Uh, at one point, so I forget who it was, was trying to attack a castle. They couldn't enter it at all. So instead, they just surrounded it. And that castle for those people inside became a prison. Mm. And that was a really cool way of putting that, like using the obstacle against itself. And yeah. it's like that image can be applied to so many things. And that was like a, a really easy way for me to understand that concept with that visual. Yeah. That was amazing. The Germans, I mean, the same action. chapter was the Blitzkrieg, the German I believe so. attack uh, strategy that was post-World War One, where it was a trench warfare. Mm. It's a long, thick trenches, and the Germans ended up creating this strategy that was sh- short, pointed, massive bursts of energy through one point, and the Blitzkrieg would, would, would uh, penetrate, and then they would go through. So they won all the wars, uh, the early war in World War II. They, went, they ravaged through all of Europe. In weeks, uh, and then Eisenhower later on, they were so afraid of the Blitzkrieg. He said, "Well, let's make this into an advantage. So let's let them come in." And when they got through the lines, right. they formed a, a, a barrier around them. They used it as a, you know, Patton called it a meat grinder. Once they got in there, they didn't <laughs> let them out. And that, that's what we won, won our war. Yeah, that was one of the things that they credit that with. That was like a, a year old within live when Brian Breach was like, uh, "People, people trash you in the comments." He's like. Good, it's engagement. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, bring it in, bring it in. I learned that one the hard way. I, I was getting ridiculed for being a boomer. I'd say, you know, oh, work yeah. hard, you know, you know write, write goals, like all the things my mentors have been telling me for years. <laughs> and there's like all these hundreds of kids saying, okay, boomer. Oh, my and I used God. To, you know, I got rid of them for a little while, but now I love it. I was like, yeah, I'm a boomer. The okay boomer. Boom meme. away. That's phenomenal. You know, these kids call me boomers. Hey, that's right. <laughs> there's nothing worse than being. No one's talking about you. It's indifference, you know. I'd rather have someone love me or hate me. So we got um, hated, but never ignored. (laughs) We have the uh, voicemails. Some questions came in. We have some text and some voicemails. You want to throw the headphones on and give it a shot? Yeah. All right. Try it out. The headphones. All right. So again, uh, if you want to text or call in, leave a voicemail. Leave a text. The number is seven five four two seven three. 6069. Any questions from this episode or the next one, which is actually on the book The Martian, which we'll talk about. But I'm going to play this voicemail. You guys give your thoughts on it. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, Eddie? It's Jake here from Cape Cod. First off, I just wanted to say that I really love your material. You have a way with words that raises the bar, and you're amazing at what you do. So thank you for all of your work. So my biggest obstacle in life was my long-lasting addiction to drugs and alcohol. From about the age of 17 to 23, I suffered from hardcore drug and alcohol abuse. My life was getting progressively worse, causing me to lose my family, my friends, my self-esteem, my happiness, and whatever life that I had left. I was miserable and depressed, and I didn't see a way out. Death seemed to be the only escape, but I kept fighting. I fought through misery, through homelessness, through pain. Instead of sitting in my own misery, I went out and I seeked help. Today, I can tell you there's true beauty in the struggle. In the lowest of lows, there's light in the darkness. Today, I'm about two and a half years sober. I met the most beautiful, caring woman who's now my wife. We have a sweet and beautiful 17-month-old son. Life is second to none today, and it's only because I went through the struggles and the pain, and I never threw in the towel. Everything happens for a reason, truly, and I'm living proof of that. So tell me, Eddie... What advice would you give to someone in that kind of mental state? Someone who just feels like all hope is gone and things will never get better. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for everything, man. Keep up the amazing content. I'll be here listening. Thanks. Wow. It's quite the mess. What a, what a miraculous turnaround. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, well, something like that, I mean, I. that's... It's it, it the interesting thing about a situation like that is it's so overwhelming, right? It just seems it's not one little thing. It just feels so big and so monumental that it's it's easy to to embrace this sort of learned state of helplessness. Mm-hmm. I think like the the way I've approached it, and the way I've you know my darkest days, which were about three years ago. You know, I, I went through a very difficult three or four month stretch. And the way I ultimately found my way out of that was, again, not trying to solve everything 
but doing one little thing. You know, it, it's realizing that one, you're in control, and two, big change is the culmination of like little steps. So knowing that things aren't perfect, and that's challenging. You want to be back on top of the mountain, but if you take one little step every day, that's a win. And not only are you moving forward, but you're identifying as a winner. You're becoming in your mind someone that can overcome these obstacles and, and change your life. Um, and, and that's the way I'd articulate it, is just think small, think achievable. Because, you know, like we just said, one light switch away. Everything you have, you need. You just have to know that. Um, you'd probably jump right on that. I mean, you, you've been to hell and back yourself, sir. Um, yeah, it's addiction. Um, and, you know, lots, lots, addiction actually is, uh, an interesting concept. I've studied it all over the world. I've, I've looked at all the modalities and one, one that comes to mind is, uh, you know, what it, what it, what a addiction is. An addiction is, um, you use a substance to produce a feeling that your body can't produce on its own, mm-hmm. uh, to get away, usually out of pain. And a lot of people, it's alcohol, it's drugs. Some people, it's, some other compulsion, but it's some kind of compulsion that's not serving you and won't serve you. And what I think I heard Jake say is that he, you know, he made the decision, you know, my first step in my algorithm to recreate yourself is make a decision. You know, what do you, decision means D away from decision to cut. That's the etymology of decision Uh, to cut away from and to change the fruit of your life. You need to change the roots. So a stoic would say, what's the one thing that if I see this as it is, is alcohol and drugs is going to kill me. Can I do something about it? Mm-hmm. Can I make a cut? Even today, just one day. It's one thing I, t- I teach people. Like if, you, if, if you don't know what to do, depending on no matter what modality you, you subscribe to, and there's many, uh, try just not to drink. Make your own experiment uh, with yourself and see how you feel. Make some, make, let your brain do some connections to what feelings are produced when you don't drink. You're going to have some. Uh-huh. And can you do something other than alcohol and drugs to produce a feeling like that? Could it be music? Could it be working out? Could it be new friends? Could it be a new environment? Could it be a new diet, exercise, uh, new passions? And then uh, the second one is the, you know, this story, you know, the second one is dream. You know, what is, what is, and tell yourself a story um, of who you are. Create a reputation for yourself to live up to. I heard you, you have a new, a new, a new love. You're a new person. You've created a new character that you have become known to be. So you've made a new story. You've installed a new story for your path and journey. Um, and there's lots of ways to do that. Um, and there actually, some are referenced in the book. So you, you want to be a superhero. You, know, you want to be someone amazing, someone known for something great. Looking back on your life, you don't want to trade it for any other. You want to be known for someone who made a comeback. Mm-hmm. And the next one is, the last one is, what, you know, to the process, Nick Saban, to the domino effect. What's one thing you can do today, this little thing you can do, because the domino creates what's called action potential. A little domino, a little two-inch domino, stores energy when it's moved forward, creates what's called action potential. That means you can amplify your effectiveness. It can knock enough action potential, not only to knock over another domino, but one more 50% bigger. So the two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino. So if you went from drinking one day or heavily using drugs and you tried something to get a win, you've created action potential. And when you're there, you reassess and say, what can I do now, tomorrow, to get another win? And then another win. And pretty soon you're two and a half years away from where you were. Look back, celebrate. Look at the hero you've become, Jake. Awesome. Um, I applaud you, man. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and, and, and share it and help others because it, it's, you know, it's just a matter of going from the brink of, the, of lifelessness through you know, taking your own life to being a hero being someone that, that uh, can teach others and, and the story that you say to, your, to us can save someone's life. Mm. One little piece of advice. Uh, take the action. Yeah. Yep. S- someone listening will hear that story That's and, and be inspired. Sweet. You know? I was thinking that too. Is like just the, your own courage to share that story. Like someone listening will gain something from that. So if you're in that situation, just you could even helping others will give you, can give you that sense of purpose and fulfillment. That Love it might give you some fuel. All right. Well, that was a fantastic message. Thank you for that one. We got a text here um, from Vince. It says, how important is the stoic philosophy in positively interpreting a challenge or obstacle? And what are the best strategies to reframe 
the obstacle to your benefit? I think we talked about that a lot, but yeah, good question. I'll take that one. Best strategies. A strategy, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's the same, same thing. thing yeah. See it for what it is. It, you know, it's an obstacle. Ask yourself, is there a win here? Am I, is there something that's good for me I'm not seeing? Yeah. And if there's not and you just can't see it, get someone else to look at the same problem. <laughs> if you can't see that, research others that had the same problem. Very few problems showed up once. Yeah. And they usually keep kind of come back um, because there's an algorithm. There is a process, a set of steps that gets a result that has been written and recorded somewhere in the world to solve the problem that you currently suffer with. Yeah. Guarantee you. Already a map. It's in a book. It's in a, it's in a, in a, a cognitive therapist's office in their study books, in their materials, in their systems. Um, and it, it's sitting somewhere, and you've got to have the desire to find that solution yeah. and look at it like, okay, once that's done, wow, now you have a new path. Yeah, I mean, uh, 100%. And, and I know we've said this 20 times now, but, like, perspective, perspective, perspective. Like, two people can look at the exact same thing, and one can take that and use it as a tool to win and to take a step, and another person can see that same thing as a reason to stay right where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the theme throughout this entire book, which is why I found so much value in it, all these people, all different fields, all different times, um, you know, but they all looked at a situation and asked themselves a single question. How can I take this and make my life better with these circumstances. And, and it's just not an intuitive thing. I think that's why we spend so much time talking about it because it's not, at least for me, right? It's not something that comes natural. It's something that I've had to work at. Mm. You know, your, your brain doesn't go, oh, look, the sky's falling down. How can you take something great out of this? It's like, no, you want to react emotionally. But if you can teach yourself to find a win, it'll, it'll change your life. Right. I got one more voicemail if you want to take a crack at it. But I got, on that point, I got to put in my favorite quote of the book. And I think it's just Ryan Holiday's quote. I don't think he quoted anybody. It's genius is just persistence in disguise. Woo! <laughs> I, I love it. it. I love that one. Okay, so we got one more voicemail from Naomi. Here we go. Hi, Eddie. Hi, Terry. It's Naomi. I wanted to say that I'm really enjoying the reviews on the books that you guys are choosing to read and share with us. I'm very excited to hear your view on the next book, Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday. I'm interested to know um, when you both, either one of you, um, had the moment of clarity when you realized that when obstacles came your way or you faced adversity, that emotions were not serving you and that you needed to look at it in a different way um, different perception, and when you realized in what point in your life was it that you said, okay, I need to step back from this and be more disciplined and uh, stoic about it and figure out that there are different ways to um, embrace these obstacles and uh, eventually um, look at them in a different way and be great. So looking forward to the review. You guys are great. Keep up the fantastic work. I'm really enjoying all the different takes and views on the different books and uh, forward to the next podcast. Have a great day, guys. Awesome. Um, well, um, I'm, I'm happy to, to start. I mean, I have a, an answer and then, okay, well, I'll just start by saying I think the first time I realized the direct correlation between suffering and success was in Boston, the running in the rain deal, you know, like that, that one morning. Um, so in a way there was a trigger for me, there was a turning point. It was, you know, it was sleeting out, it was freezing, it was uncomfortable, it was still dark. And I made a decision to go on a simple run, um, and got home and just had this feeling of almost like a euphoric feeling and knowing that I wasn't given an award or anything like that. No one cared, but I felt like I did something that the rest of the world couldn't. And that sentiment came with me for everything else I did after that. So the second piece of that answer, as far as I'm concerned, is that it wasn't just that one thing. It's a snowball, right? It's coincidentally, an ego is the enemy, which is sort of the follow-up to this, 
you know, Ryan Holiday says confidence is earned. And that's almost what it was, you know, like after I left my job, when my finances were drying up, when I wanted to go back, um, I, I, I remember running in the rain. I remembered suffering and how that brought me a step forward. And so I stayed. I didn't go back. Same thing with keynote speaking. The first time I was going to keynote speak, I was like hyperventilating. I was terrified. I didn't want to do it. But I did it anyway. I didn't do a great job. I did an okay job. But it ended up propelling me forward. It was the foundation for everything. And so, in other words, every little situation, every time that, you know, you, your, your instinct tells you to retreat, because you're scared, um, those all of those, the culmination of those things manifest into greatness, into growth and progress, and progress is happiness. That's How good. was that for an answer? That's 20 minutes long. Well done. <laughs> um, you know, it, that's a, uh, Naomi, thanks, Naomi, for the question. Uh, my my uh, take on that was what, at what point, and I, I can only say this, that I, I ended up, have any opportunity to share a message on the TED stage. I was very, very close to doing the entire 18 minutes on labels. What do you mean labels? Uh, labels, like people label you. Um, and the reason I think I, I, I managed to find some form of success was I was uh, lie labeling myself as this, you know, the way I was getting my results, I used to almost brag about it. I didn't finish college and I was partying when everyone else was working hard mm -hmm. and, and I, got, I got some results somehow. And that was a and, a, and, a, and I think I was almost respected for that mistakenly. Um, and Kierkegaard said, once you label me, you negate me. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, so it wasn't until I, I found myself in a drug and alcohol rehab center when I was, you know, on the way out and, you know, looked like the end was coming. And they told me, like, you know, you're an addict. You know, that's that was a label they assigned me. I was like, man, I didn't like how that felt. And they wanted to rehabilitate me, meaning they wanted to restore me back to the way I was. And I looked back and I said, I don't want to be that person. I don't want yeah. to be re re restored back to my original condition. And that's when I made the, that was, that was ground zero. I will never forget it. It's like, I am not going to do that. I'm going to recreate myself, which means to make something new that's never existed before. So my book that came out of that was, I'm, a, I'm not an addict, I'm a superhero. Like, I'm the opposite. And I labeled myself. And that was the thing. I, I told myself a story. And the story was that I'm capable. I can recover from anything. I can recreate myself into anything. I can do that one at a time. I'll figure it out. And labels are, uh, that was like, I didn't like that. And at some level, the, the, the lies that I told myself uh, kind of served me later in life when I, when I was smart enough to see things as they really are mm -hmm. to this book. Uh, to this book is like, this is how it really was. And how they... I like to add to that how they really can be, right? You know, the po speak to possibilities. Well, what can you be if you look back on it? And what would be a good story that people would respect that would move others, sure, and help others? And that's kind of what the, what I decided to do. And your situation shined a spotlight on that for you. Like, in other words, the negative situation made you, for the first time, see your labels, right? Yeah, which is super interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it was like it, it almost woke me up. It right. woke me up from I think I was cruising on into the grave, and it kind of woke me up. I said, "Wait a minute, right. I'm not that. I don't want to die like that. I want to be remembered as that person." Right. Because uh, once you're gone, you're gone, and you know whatever ego you have left is the way you're going to be remembered. Your legacy will be who you are. So Jake, who spoke earlier, won't be remembered for the kid who did drugs and and, and alcohol. He'll be remembered for the person who came back and started a new family and a new life and helped others. Yeah, it's a much better self story, awesome. you know. Yeah. All right, maybe time for one more. Yeah, let's All do right. it. All right, so I got. Um, let's see. This one's from Mike. It says, "So, hey guys, uh, been a fan with you since day one. Happy this week's book is Obstacles of is the way because over half of my life I've been running from my problems and obstacles. My biggest problem was confidence and independence, and when it come when it came time in my life to move out of my family's house, I had no choice but to face them." That's when the gold stuff happened. I was forced out of my shell, and now I walk around with a high head and a proper mindset. My question to you is, how do you give someone insight on not waiting for the last resort until you face your problems? Walk into your fears willingly rather than desperately. Great question. That's a great question. Thanks, Mike. Um, well, I think it's it's the, the, the idea of having to know all the answers, don't you? I mean, that, that held me back uh, um, many times in my life. Like thinking that it's like, oh, I'm not like well equipped right. for this. I don't I don't have everything I need yet. When in reality, it's like 
I mean, truly, just kind of starting and fumbling around like an idiot till you figure it out. I mean, that's. Right. But it's hard. It's hard to tell people that up front because people think you know you see you see folks that are, you know, that maybe you want to be like or they have certain things you want. And you think they were always like that or they always knew or they always had the answers. And it's like, no, you got to go and just figure it out. Again, I probably say this on every podcast, and I'll probably continue to. Not all who wander are lost. Mm-hmm. That applies to big picture. It applies to little projects. It applies to jobs you're looking for. It applies to relationships. It's like you, you have to be vulnerable enough to just go and, and let the world come to you, put the pieces together as you sort of progress. Right. I, I think he talks about, uh, that's a great question, um, but the uh, Steve Jobs' dad in this book. Oh, yeah. His father was a Finnish carpenter, and he, and he used to, they said that he actually finished the inside of a uh, cupboard. No one would ever see it. Right. And then Jobs, when he was at Apple, he would, and there's a point to this, he would finish the inside of the components that no one would ever see. The consumer would never see it. Only the techs that opened the thing up would see it and say, well, Jobs finished the inside of this phone for some reason. Right. Um, but later, uh, Jobs realized that you have to get something out the door, minimum. They called it the minimum viable product, the MVP. Uh, and and Karas, guys, Karasaki did that TED Talk, Don't Worry, Be Crappy. Like, mm. get it out the door and to, to the, you know, getting kicked out of your nest. You know, you lose a lot of opportunities when you wait. You know, the opportunities are this big right now. And as you start to wait, they become fewer. Um, because you can't improve on anything that doesn't exist. Yeah. And if you think it's something you want to do, give it a shot That's and screw it up. That's a good way to put it. You yeah. can't you can't improve on anything that doesn't exist. Right. Got to get the wheels moving. And that's why they put something out. When they put the first iPhone out, it didn't do a lot of the things. In fact, the iPhones we have today do something new that the first one never even dreamed of doing. They were proving on something repeatedly. Right. And that's how you work on your own life. You're always rewriting and recreating yourself every day. Right. In my right. mind. That's so um, and you're improving on it. You know, I mean, you go from something to nothing, from or from nothing to something, from something to something better, from something better to something great, on and on and on. And here you are. And don't forget. Living a different life. Don't forget. This is important. You are always one situation, one creation, one discussion, one step away from a complete change, right? You can go from you know, feeling stuck, feeling unsure and getting a job offer that changes your life or, you know, being a musician and writing song after song after song and making one that changes your life. Like the idea of going from zero to 60, it's built over time. Like it, it, it it happens, but you have to let yourself put those reps in, you know? And again, another thing that's not intuitive, no one wants to create without validation, uh, but you have to. Right. That's great. That's a good question. One more thing about that. When you said the the fear, um, how do you overcome it? The one thing I heard someone say on a podcast, I can't remember who it was. It was either a podcast or a TED Talk. But when you overcome that fear and you learn from it, it's kind of, it's a muscle. You have to remember that's a muscle too. So, and then the, what he was saying is that now every time he fears, feels that fear, pu- pu- what's the word? What's the word? Like bubble up. Mm-hmm. He feels that fear bubble up. He's like, what is that? I want to attack that now. Cause he knows from all his past experiences, every time he overcame it is when he grew. So if you do it just the first time and you learn from it and you see what comes out of that fear on the other side of it, then next time it comes up, it's almost like a signal instead of it being like fear, something you hide away from. It's like, Ooh, it's almost like you like the fear turn. He, he was flipping it completely on its head. It was the, pretty much the essence of obstacles the way. I love it. Yeah. That's when you take a, you, you take a feeling and you and you create an algorithm with it. When I feel this, I do that. Exactly. Mm. And all of a sudden, after a while, that becomes your new practice. Yeah. In, for uh, the good and for the bad, by the way. In one of the courses that uh, we released a few months ago, creating your world within, it's like basically ten steps to sort of help your mindset. And one of the one of the the um, what what's it called? Um, like a worksheet. Yeah, but what's yeah. the word for that? Like it's a worksheet. We'll, we'll go worksheet. Yeah, <laughs> let's not make it difficult. No. Uh, basically, it's it's a fear ladder, and it asks you to rank oh. the things. I love this, man. It, yeah. You you rank the things that you're scared of, and up top you put like the most terrifying thing, right? And then all the way down to the bottom, which is something tiny 
that uh, that it's a little bit scary, but that you can do, right? And mm-hmm. so the idea is you start chipping away from the bottom of the ladder, the tiny ones, and you continually make your way up. And to Steve's point, like, you grow sort of this, uh, you know, you become stronger, mentally tougher. And so with each little win, by the time you get to the big ones, the big, the big fears, you're well-equipped. You've, like changed your mindset you've become accustomed to the feeling of doing what scares you right um it's a good way to do that so i I recommend anyone who's uh got some things to work on to throw all that together sounds like toastmasters i mean have you ever ever, toastmasters is a is a i think it's a non-profit there's like if you want to be a public speaker there's in most cities there's a toastmaster group yeah and one of the uh, uh things they do at toastmaster is when you're new they'll take you around it to strangers and they'll they'll have them pitch you something You'll see them. It happened to me before. I'm sitting there eating lunch once, and some lady says, we're with Toastmasters. Would you mind if we practice on you? I was like, sure. And they practice on me. And this person, well, you could tell the look <laughs> in their eye, like they're scared. And they pitched, and I go, great job. You know? And that, they did it six times. It becomes the, the, the standard, and you, you do it enough times. Like if you want to do video, you want to ultimately get yourself out there, and you have a message, you're going to have to do video. You're going to have to do interviews. You're going to have to do speaking and writing, things you may not like to do. Practice. Reps. And don't. Don't release it if you don't like it. Uh, you got to get used to the way you project. Mm. You got to get used to that and, and improve upon it. Same thing. Love it. Cool. It's like working out. You're not going to lift 500 pounds. You work that muscle till you can. Okay, anyway. the Leave a review. Thank you guys for listening. Leave a rating. It really helps us out. And if you want that number one more time, it is 754-273-6069. Let them know what they got for next week. Next week, we're doing The Martian, which is... Uh, an amazing book. It's a it's a fictional book. A lot of you probably seen the movie, but for entrepreneurs, I consider it an essential. Um, right. You know, we t- we talk about this all the time too. One of our favorites. It's about an individual in 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 tough situations over and over and over again, putting the pieces together and figuring it out. So, um, if you have uh, if it's if it's uh, possible, you can read the book. We'd love to uh, get any questions about it specifically and uh, chat next week. Yeah, that's a good book that follows this book. Obstacle after obstacle and obstacle and solution after solution. Exactly. And solution. It's a great exactly. book. It's a great movie. Uh, leave us a comment. Uh, leave us a message. We'll, uh, we'll tag it head on. All right, guys. Until next time. All right. Thanks. Thanks.